toxic masculinity, feminism. These are topics, hot topics, that are on the tip of our tongues and affect all of society and culture. And we've seen a radical transformation of these concepts just in the last two generations. So in this episode, we're going to head these topics straight on. We're going to talk about them in the context of our marriage early on and our marriage now. Join us. Hi, I'm Felipe. And I'm Lillian. And this is the Postmodern Family Podcast. If you've listened to our first three episodes or after listening to this episode, you like what you hear, subscribe on SoundCloud or on iTunes or both to get new podcasts straight into your notification box. If this is the first time you're listening to us, we generally podcast about family life and our views on the world. So we hope you enjoy and to this particular episode is, is about going to be a little bit controversial. It's going to be about masculinity and femininity. Um, we hear a lot today this idea of toxic masculinity and the war on man. And we also hear about feminism and the future is female <laughs> are some catch slogans that you hear. Or down with the patriarchy. Yes, yes. So we actually talk about these quite often, and actually it was our first topic of conversation on our first ever coffee date, if you will. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to have this discussion in the context of our meeting, our courtship, and our marriage. So why don't we kick off with what, what did we talk about when we first had coffee that first time? I think it was unintentional, but you opened the doors for me, and uh, I think you also paid for our coffee at the coffee shop, and I couldn't help but comment on how your behavior was so out of the norm, and it, that it felt nice to be treated as a, a female that was being treated by uh, a man. So we started talking about gender roles in our first coffee time, ever really chatting. I Isn't that sort of time. a controversial topic to start off with? Well, we're controversial people. Okay. <laughs> no, I think, I think myself, I think of myself as I talk about anything. and This is true. Yes, anything <laughs> in any context. And I'm not ashamed of it. And I think that does make for interesting conversations. So what did you think of that as I brought it up? Well, it was, um, it was refreshing to have a serious conversation about serious issues from the get-go. Most people, I suppose, will spend a bit of time in small talk, talk about the weather, talk about university, maybe friends and things like that before maybe never even getting into these <laughs> issues. But it was from the first... Yeah, the first moment we discussed it, and I thought, oh, this is really interesting. She is 
number one, capable of thinking about these things, and number two, interested enough to broach them from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was appealing. So what really drew me to Felipe in the very beginning, mm. I believe, was his masculinity, was how mm. he acted like a man and was unashamed for being the leader, for being assertive, and wanting to do manly kind of things. Um, at the same time, I think he didn't feel self-conscious about um, aspects of his life. It was almost like he didn't, he was so confident in himself that he wasn't trying to live a masculine life in a reaction to um, insecurity. It was just truly who he was. And uh, for compared to the previous people that I've dated, um, it was it was very different. It was definitely appealing because I think a lot of the previous relationships I had had were um, where I was the leader and they were kind of the follower. So, mm, and this is this is what we see we've seen now in the last I guess generation or so is a role reversal between man and woman in relationships. Um, we were looking at we shared a video. I must have shared it with you today. It was a report out of um, Japan in which a Western reporter was interviewing Japanese men on the street and asking about their relationship life. And they showed instance after instance in which men basically said, I'm afraid of rejection uh, from a woman. I'm afraid of women, actually. And so I would rather... I would rather have a virtual girlfriend or a make-believe girlfriend than venture out. And then they interviewed women as well. And the women basically said, you know, I don't need relationships to get in the way of my career and my flexibility. Um, I want to be able to be free of that and pursue my career to the end. They also had a group of girls saying how they thought the man should be the initiator and should be bold enough to ask the girls out. Mm-hmm. And so they said, what a shame that they feel afraid of us, but they're not gonna, I'm not gonna go to them, is I think mm-hmm. their response. They didn't say they were gonna go out to yeah. find these men. Yeah, so all to say that it, it's, it's um, today we see a lot more that women pursue men um, in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also that that, men sort of withdraw from the pursuit and from the leadership aspects of relationship. And in the vacuum, the women sort of step in. And I think that's kind of where we were at when we first met in in the sense that you had relationships in which that was the role that you had played, the role of, um, of leader in the relationship. And so you found, you, you know, in our situation, I was not prepared nor willing to play the role of follower mm-hmm. in the really in a even just this was just friendly that interaction. First, yes. This was not dating or anything. Well, let's skip forward now. I do distinctly remember uh, one time where you were flexing your um, leadership muscles, and uh, it was the perfect setting 
for our first kiss. Okay. So <laughs> maybe he doesn't want to talk about this. But um, we had gone out on a wonderful hike and then it ended up by a lake and the moon mm. was out shining and mm. it was just the two of us. And I thought, oh, he's totally going to kiss me. Like, this will be our first kiss. It'll be very exciting. And he didn't. And, and what was m most interesting about it was, I think, was it then or later that I had asked... Like, mm. why didn't you kiss me? I think it was then and there, knowing you. <laughs> yeah. And and his response was, he's the leader. He gets to decide mm -hmm. when that moment is. And I'm not, he's basically, you said, uh, you're mm. not going to do it if I ask. You know, that's, mm. that's not the point. Mm. And we also see these sometimes in some movie scenes where... The man has to just say or walk away and say he pretends that he never heard the proposal from the women, mm. and then he'll come back and. You mean a wedding her. proposal? Yes, yes. Mm. Um, what do you remember? Uh, recently, we watched a movie where someone had had to reject the girl because he wanted to be the one to say to give the to proposal be the one to, be, to, to make propose. the proposal. Yes. Um, I don't remember what it was. I, it could have been a rom-com that I was watching by myself. But mm. So I think, I think in essence, men generally want to lead. Is that, is that the essence of masculinity, you would say, is initiation, leadership being initiation? As opposed to, let's say, if you define femininity as response I think that's what you would say mm. <laughs> I haven't developed a clear understanding of it I think mm. as much as you have mm. so I think that that you would say that yes mm -hmm. yes I am saying that are you trying to lead me lead the horse <laughs> to the water <laughs> yes so so then um so then going back to that even though that was appealing this sort of idea that I was assertive in my leadership role. Let's talk about how that created problems for us as yes. well. It was a huge struggle because I had to change the entire way that I would date. I would always be the one to suggest dates or make plans. And, and then I've got suddenly I'm in a relationship with someone who's pushing back from that. Saying, no, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to make plans. In fact, mm. if you do that, I'll ignore you or I'll punish you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, somehow we still got engaged and we still got married. <laughs> but there was a lot of fighting along the way. A lot of headbutting. Yes. And I would say that even after we got married, mm. there was still that problem there. The issue of... Who is the leader mm -hmm. and in which situ what situation? So, yeah. This is, I mean, this is a problem in today's relationships where the, I guess the idea is that either the man or the woman can be a leader in a relationship. And I suppose the way I've thought about this before is, first of all, you have to acknowledge that there has to be a leader. That's the starting point. Every organization, every institution, a family or a relationship is like an institution or organization. There has to be 
a single person who is held accountable or responsible for what happens ultimately with the organization. So there must be a leader. So then the follow-up question is, should the leadership role fall upon someone uh, based on whether they're male or female, if maleness and femaleness even exist, because today we're even questioning that. But let's not go into that territory of questioning whether maleness or femaleness exists. Let's assume they do. Um, so then the question is, is it, is it the rightful place of the man to lead or is it indifferent? Is it open to either gender is the question, I guess. Yeah, and I think the answer you'll get from most people and probably people listening is that it could be either, mm. depending upon the personality. And so, and sometimes depending upon the skill, because mm. oftentimes if you've got the main breadwinner, so in a relationship, maybe the wife is the one who makes more money mm. and therefore they base their decisions on what city to live in, etc., based on that job, then it feels like it's easier for the woman to make all of the main leading decisions. Mm. And I think that is very acceptable in today's culture. Mm. And yet, it doesn't quite work, I think, mm. as when we talk about the essential difference between male and female, there is something innate, I believe, mm. in a man that would make him uh, still want to be the leader of the decisions, even if he makes less, even if he doesn't work and mm -hmm. his wife is the one who's working. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Well, I think that's this is what I've seen often the time is, let's say the, the wife is a doctor and the husband is a technician or a mechanic, then the wife will drive the decisions of the family. She'll be the de facto leader. And I think it touches upon the basic question of what we, what we think the purpose of a man and a woman coming together is um, not just in a dating context, but specifically in a marriage context. I think I think the the answer to the question who should lead kind of depends on the answer to the question of what is the purpose of marriage, of a man and a woman getting together to form a single unit. And I think there are various question answers to that question. I think in today's age where I think people are marrying a lot less now. There's a lot more cohabitation, um, even owning ho doing everything that traditionally married couples did, own homes, have kids, go on honeymoon, go on vacations and things like that. All that is being done outside the context of marriage. So, and then, so not only are people marrying less, but the people that do get married, it seems like the divorce rate is quite high. So relationships aren't working, and I think, I think lo so the long-term relationships tend to be failing. Um, and the question is why, and I think most people believe that getting together with another person, the purpose of that is in essence self-fulfillment. Um, I think a man would think he's getting together with a woman 
because of the fulfillment he experiences in that union, whether that be sexual fulfillment or emotional fulfillment or even monetary fulfillment. Some men, you know, get together with women because they make good money or they come from rich families or whatever. You mean like status? Status, yeah. Um, so there's these sort of self-interested motivations for a union. Um, or they think out of a fleeting emotional sense of love. Women might get together with a man because they feel fulfilled in some way in that context. So there's this sort of self-interested approach to marriage or approach to union that then, if that's your motivation, then, you know, it really doesn't matter who leads, man or woman. It it will be some, so like any organization will be who's the most skilled, mm -hmm. um, who makes the best decisions. That will be the natural leader. But if... If the idea is, if the idea for union is procreation, which is historically the bedrock reason why people got together, um, man and woman, men and women got together because the idea of prospering, the idea of, of a prosperous life and a fulfilled life, or a, uh, not fulfilled, but a, um, flourishing life of a proper life would be a life where you're procreating and procreating abundantly procreating with you know having many children that is a sign of that is a sign of a, vi a vitality and but that's not the case today so no so that's not the case today but if that were the case then why is it that the man would lead natural it would be the man's duty to lead and the woman's duty to respond or follow it's because the the man you know ultimately the man if he if in a family context you have little ones you have women it's um in the old you know in the older uh, epics you had the physical struggle to survive in reality was quite demanding and the physical struggle to protect a family was quite demanding so naturally the man is more physically suited and more emotionally suited for warfare, for for physical warfare and for even emotional warfare. So the idea of protection of a tribe, the protection of a family tribe from physical and emotional violence, it's um, physiologically the man is best suited for that. Um, and okay, in, so, in, but bring it to today. That's not so, the so, case once again. So today you have you have industrial civilization right, that essentially permits or essentially erases the, dis the distinguishing factors between men and women. So whereas before a man must be physically able to defend a tribe, today he does not have to be. So I think it's more than that, than the physical. I think there is, like you touched on, the emotional difference mm. between men and women. Yeah. And that is not and cannot be erased. Mm. Even in an industrial age, where so elaborate on that. What do you so, mean? So, for example, I think women are innately more nurturing um, mm -hmm. because I don't know why it's something in the brain or balance of hormones. So um, the scientific studies show that the brains are not the same. The brain physiology yes. is not the same. 
brain size is a little smaller, especially when a woman is pregnant. <laughs> mm. um, and that, um, but we don't know what brain size necessarily means in terms mm. of emotional functioning and et cetera. But mm-hmm. um, what I think is that with the women being more nurturing and more emotional or aware of emotional nature, mm-hmm. then making decisions that are more practical or more pragmatic mm-hmm. it becomes more difficult for women. Mm-hmm. And when you've got um when you've got a unit uh, mm-hmm. if you if you look at the military mm-hmm. um and you need to make quick decisions or even just important decisions where there's a lot of mm-hmm. emotion surrounding it mm-hmm. you want to go with the one that's pragmatic so are you are you suggesting then that in in norm under normal circumstances on average there are exceptions to everything but under average circumstances the the makeup of a woman is such that she has a harder time making decisions that are not influenced by emotion yes. than men do. Yes. And I do I do believe that. And I and I come from a mentality of leadership. I've mm. grown up as the alpha um always being in leadership roles and positions being the caretaker of my female friends, whenever we would go out, I would be the, the kind of like the guy friend who mm-hmm. makes sure that everyone is safe and okay. Um, and then in, in my previous relationships, like I mentioned, so when it was between you and me when we got married, mm-hmm. it was, you know, butting heads a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think if you were less intelligent or you made less money or something like that, I probably would have won in the mm-hmm. modern day battle of the sexes, sexes. Mm-hmm. and I would probably be making the decisions for the family. And but I think in that case, um, I probably would have walked away. Yes, if you were still you. But let's yes. say I married some other guy mm-hmm. who's mm-hmm. just not as as mm-hmm. masculine or not as um, intelligent or you know, earning a lot of money um, in comparison to my salary. Mm-hmm. That. I, I can see myself leading a family down the wrong path. Mm. I can see myself having made, because there were so many times where you wanted to make a decision that was opposite of what my recommendation was. And then look, looking back now, if we had gone with those other decisions, then we, we may be in a terrible spot, you know? Um, mm. So I think the... I can see it in my own life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is what and that's I'm a rather controversial point. I mean, I think it's, like you said, it's not very controversial to say that men are more physically able to handle adversity. But to say that men are more able to handle emotional adversity is um, quite a controversial statement in mm-hmm. today's age. Absolutely. Yeah. Where, you know, for example, in the U.S. military, all combat roles are now being opened up mm-hmm. to women. And, yeah, um, so I would strongly oppose that. I wouldn't want mm. a female soldier watching my back. You know, if yeah. she's trying to rush me out as like a group of refugees or something, mm. I would rather a male team. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's just maybe my bias. <laughs> yeah. Um, or my experience mm-hmm. with women. Yeah, yeah. So so then how did we, if if in our relationship I was trying to be 
the leader and you were trying to be the leader, how exactly did we resolve mm -hmm. that difficulty? It, it came down to, like, like in the Bible it says you can't serve two masters. Mm -hmm. I think in our household I was mm -hmm. trying to be this, another master. We were trying to be two masters in the same household, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't make any sense. And the only way to overcome that is if we both serve one master, mm -hmm. which is God. Mm -hmm. And in that way, you submitting to God mm -hmm. and me submitting to God informed me that mm -hmm. I needed to submit to you. Mm -hmm. And it's made quite clear in the text of the Bible mm -hmm. that wives are to submit to their husbands Mm. Um, and then the husbands are to give their lives to the wife mm -hmm. whole entirely. So they're to lead, but be willing to die mm -hmm. for their, their spouses. It's their a, wives. it's a leadership that's not self-serving. Mm -hmm. It's a leadership that's selfless. Yes. That's for the family unit, for the wife and the children. And I truly believe that that's a greater burden than mm. the, what the woman has because mm. The, the, you know, you're, you're the captain of the ship and if the ship goes down, you go down with it, you know, and mm. you're the one to blame really, I guess. Is what yeah, that's right. That, that's the burden. That's a responsibility. And therefore, as long as I'm submitting, um, then I'm, I'm doing right. Even if, even if let's say the husband makes a decision and, and you really, really think it's a wrong decision, mm -hmm. submitting to that still means that he is in charge and he's going to receive the burden of mm -hmm. of that decision so do you think you were in part comforted by the reality that the husband is held accountable by god for the leadership of the family absolutely yes and i think that's as the old the older we get and the more we grow in our faith we realize that um being the, the spiritual rewards are mm -hmm. more important than the material rewards. Mm -hmm. So even if I, let's say I knew or I calculated that we would make more money if we just stayed in the U.S. and we didn't mm -hmm. move here to England, mm -hmm. um, and I let's say I stuck my ground and I just said, no, we're not going, I'm just going to mm -hmm. stay here. Um, well, that clearly would be disobedience. Um, but also, I think... It, I mean, more than just spiritual suffering, we would have material suffering as well. Yeah. Um, so I think it was growth for me mm -hmm. um, being challenged firsthand mm -hmm. in what the Bible was saying versus what I was actually doing. And I think for me, too, I think the as a young, you know, as a first, you know, early husband, I thought, there were probably, you know, inclinations and, and ideas that leadership just meant that you made all the decisions and that you can make the decisions in such a way that would benefit you, that were based on your own benefit. And um, so, it, you know, the, the, the model of leadership was not completely mature. And as I think there was a direct proportion, uh, a proportionality between your comfort in the, in the marriage with me as leader, um, it in, it was directly proportional to the level to which I expressed servanthood leadership and not mm -hmm. selfish leadership. Yeah, a good example would be, you know, being offered a really high-paying job, mm -hmm. but that would take you elsewhere or 
make you have to work very far away from home and not mm. see us very often. Which many and, men do. Yes. And, mm. and where, I mean, the, if you think about just the material blessings you would get making mm. that extra money, etc. I mean, sure. But then the spiritual, are you raising your children? Are you mm. impressing upon them your values and building that relationship? You know, that's much more everlasting than the extra money you would have made. So that kind of decision is informed, I think, by a spiritual development mm. um, in, in a man. Yeah. So, so then getting back to the, the crux of the issue, the, the whole, let's talk about so-called toxic masculinity or the war on masculinity. Why do you think, why do you think there, there's so many people who seem to be out to destroy maleness as such, masculinity as such. So when you mention toxic masculinity, mm. what is that? It seems to be. I don't, I don't, I'm not an expert, but it's a phrase that's often used. And so, for example, um, the Marine Corps, the U.S. Marine Corps was the last branch of the military to accept women into combat roles. And it was said that that was because they're an organization full of toxic masculinity. And what they meant was that within the U.S. Marine Corps, there is built in a pride in being male, which is to say a pride in being the most beastly, you know, barbaric, bordering on barbaric mm -hmm. strength and, and, and killer mindset as possible. Mm -hmm. So... It was men being as manly as possible in every exaggerated way. That meant that pain meant nothing to you. Sleep deprivation meant nothing to you. Eating deprivation okay. meant nothing to you. So and all so it's toxic because if you were to introduce that kind of male to society, it may have devastating effects. But as a soldier, mm -hmm. isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we need? I mean, yeah, if the soldier is, is to receive his orders from the civil government to go and, uh, you know, defend the country and attack an enemy, the, the goal is to destroy the enemy. Then, yeah, you want a man who will not rest and will not be stopped by mm -hmm. any factor, sleep, food, or otherwise, to, def to carry out the mission. So let's say if they're using toxic masculinity to describe general society and not soldiers... I think that what they mean is that there, there is a, these men would think that they are superior than other mm. than the other sex, mm. and that they kind of they own them, you know, that they can treat yeah, them like so property. Yeah, so there's that element of the objectification of women. So, for mm -hmm. example, so the, these men um, view women as only sexual objects. Mm -hmm. um, so that that would be an element of toxic masculinity. They they would argue, and, and I think they're correct on yes. that. So so then the question is. Given if there are elements of toxicity in in maleness in manhood today, um, you know they they're taking advantage of that and saying it's maleness as such that mm -hmm. needs to be destroyed. There's something which inherent, they, I think, which they have then misdefined because maleness is not what what toxic masculinity is. Mm -hmm. Maleness is like you say leadership, but in a servant. In a servant-like way, mm -hmm. yes. So, yes. So, 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 yeah. So there's, there's a war on, 
masculinity, um, I think in some way connected to feminism, which is an effort, seems to be an effort to make women um, everything that men in their worst way are. What's, what I find hilarious about modern day feminism, some people call it third wave feminism. I'm not, I don't really know. There exactly, seem to be several but, waves and developments. Yes, and I think some people would say that like the first wave was like the true wave that's good, like you know that mm. women can have a vote uh, and etc. Mm. But, um, uh, but modern day feminism seems to make women like men. <laughs> that seems so, to be the goal. That seems to be the goal, which so is So can funny. you unpack that? So what does that mean? Well, what's funny to me is that they seem to hate the man. They seem to hate what's masculine. Mm -hmm. And yet what they're becoming is themselves masculine. Mm -hmm. So what it looks like is women proposing to men, mm. you know, women pursuing careers primarily as mm -hmm. their ultimate goal in life, mm -hmm. which I... I actually would not agree with. Mm -hmm. um, and then women who who just cannot have a relationship with a man because they're so... They mm. need to lead. They need to initiate. And then, therefore, the only kind of men that they end up having are feminist men who mm. are very not masculine. They're not mm. manly. They, um, they are the one responding. They are the mm. one submitting. Mm -hmm. And so there's quite a huge role reversal in today's feminism that it doesn't sound like what the word is feminine mm. yeah that's the irony like you said it's the irony that they're trying to destroy males by becoming males mm -hmm. and and um in doing so they're actually what they're doing is destroying femininity yeah they're preserving maleness <laughs> <laughs> in their effort to destroy maleness, they're preserving it, but what they're actually doing is destroying femininity. Absolutely. Um, it's just not cool to be feminine these days. What does that mean, feminine? To, to make yourself look pretty in a delicate nature. Mm. Um, to, make, to not be the initiator. Mm -hmm. To not seek out that high-powered career, mm -hmm. to desire to stay at home, raise children, and to live off of your husband who's going to work and make all the money for you. Mm -hmm. That is completely looked down upon mm -hmm. in today's feminist culture. Yeah. So then, just as a brief hint, we, we will do a podcast on and a YouTube video on why we call ourselves the postmodern family, but just as a slight hint at what that is. So, you know, if you know anything about postmodernism, it's it's the age that follows modernism. And modernism is today, is that correct? Modernism is like you might call the the post enlightenment um, era. Um, so, if you look at the 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 art the categories that historians use to describe history. You know, you, you have the ancient times, and then you have the uh, the the Middle Ages, that, then you have the Renaissance, and then you have the Enlightenment era. Um, and then some th people, I think, put a classical era in there, but there's really just Enlightenment, and then modern, and then postmodern. And f they're not hard and fast. It's not like some guy changed his clothes when it went from medieval to, or middle to, mm -hmm. to Renaissance or anything. 
they're all gradual. They're art. They're 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 artificial labels, but basically, modernism. You can say like twentieth century onward, or maybe mm-hmm. a little bit sooner than that, and, and then postmodernism is like present day, almost. It's like a, a or a, a future. It's kind of I I would say that we are in a transition. I don't think that the, it's anything's quite established yet. Is it? Well, I mean, you know, in in a thousand years. The age that we call modern is not going to be modern. So it's mm-hmm. like a changing goalpost. It's mm-hmm. like as time goes by, modernism stays close-ish to us, mm-hmm. and we exist in postmodern time. Okay. So, but what's ironic about it all, all that jargon and gibberish, is that one of the key characteristics of postmodernism is is that it's post-truth, mm-hmm. um, basically that that there is a truth that is relevant to it, that is pertains to a tribe. So there might be Jewish truth, there might be Asian truth, there might be Indian truth, mm-hmm. German truth, but there is no objective truth. Yeah, um, I could see that in today's age. So, um... Being argued that yeah. there is no objective truth. Except that there is no objective truth. Except so, the statement, there yeah. is no objective truth. So it's, it's a self-defeating viewpoint. Um, the moment you try to assert something, you can't because the mm-hmm. philosophy is that you can't assert anything as objectively true. So, but what I find interesting is this idea of like post-modernism. So if, if you look at the modern age as the age that initiated a lot of the destructive forces in society that we see today, is there an opportunity after that, after that age, to recover what was lost to recover what was pre-modern, um, to recover a patrimony and an inheritance that is precious and informed society in a way that built wholesome, healthy societies centered on the family. So we're the postmodern family in the sense that we live after the modern age, but we're trying to recover a lost age. Of objective truths. Of, of old objective truths that were handed down generation mm-hmm. by generation. And so I must confess that it makes us feel very lonely in today's age because very, it's very rare that you'll meet anybody who is thinking about objective truth and what that looks like and what that is and trying to live that out. Especially in the realm of morality. Yes, absolutely. But even in in gender roles, I mean, that's mm. a now huge we're into science. Right now. Yeah, now we're into physiology. So, so yeah, so heavy uh, heavy topics. These are the sorts of things we talk about um, over coffee in the break in the breakfast table. <laughs> this is a controversial household, not just a postmodern household. So we enjoy these topics, and I hope you enjoy listening to them. I hope that uh, you found them enlightening and encouraging. And if and if you, like us, feel isolated and abandoned in this crazy, insane world of gender confusion and role reversals and fragmentary families, then join us. Uh, subscribe to our channels. Subscribe to our podcast. We hope to be a light in the darkness Uh, to share the light that we've received from Christ our King and from what we understand have have been the age-old truths that humanity has ever understood. And so we're excited to share that and excited to open our hearts and open our lives to you. 
If you're interested in reading more about what we're talking about, our vision, our beliefs, you can go to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash the postmodern family and just check out what what our goals are and and feel free to support us and join us in this effort to bring back the traditional family. So thank you so much for listening to our podcast and we hope you have a lovely time wherever you are and whatever time you're listening to this. We make these uh, convenient for you to listen to at any time that you want to.